You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at, for a moment, uh, the baptism of Jesus. And um, as we're going through this, um, just for you guys to kind of know my heart, uh, it literally was probably last week at this time, uh, we got done with Equip, uh, had our meal for some of our guys here, and then we went, uh, started heading to the house. And think about the next two weeks where we were going to be having very clear uh, passages that really talked about evangelistic calls. And, um, you know, once again, next Sunday is all about, hey, for those of you who've done all these religious things, it doesn't mean that you necessarily know him. Think about Good Friday and what we're going to be doing, that it really came down to that we, we need to have an opportunity and uh, I'll just be honest with you. I had two thoughts rolling around in my head on the way to the house last Sunday. One was, are we bold enough to say on Easter Sunday, hey, if you want to get saved and want to get baptized, you can do it right now. We got shorts and shirts. Joanne and Evans, you were like, oh, my goodness gracious, right? Just sort of, just if this is the deal, like, just come on right now. We, we've got it all squared away. The only concern I had was we got a very limited window between the 9 and the 1030 service. And if the Lord broke out and we couldn't fit everybody, we'd have people outside trying to figure out. So the next thing that I was considering was, um, for, for me personally, and, and, and I've just always thought that, uh, at least in the church calendar, and, and y'all may think I'm wrong for this, and, and that's completely fine, uh, but there's part of me that I feel like a lot of times when it's a Christian holiday, like say Easter or Christmas, our tendency is to kind of get in and out of service and then just sort of go on and just not do anything. And I feel like Easter, I, I really do mean this, even though like I'm exhausted, I'd sit up here all day long and let's just have dinner on the grounds and let's just celebrate what the Lord is doing and just spend time, you know, so we all get some ideas now. But um, with this, I thought, what, if, what would happen if we just said, you know what, why don't you come back tonight and get baptized? I, I think I've been reading Acts chapter 2 and you remember what happened when uh, Peter preached that sermon at Pentecost, he didn't say, hey, come to our baptismal um, meeting in two months from now and think about it for another three months before you do it. He's like, there's water right here. And 3,000 people were, were, were baptized that day. And, and so what took place, you've got to imagine, that is when, when 3,000 people got baptized, that whole city looked different, you know? You start walking down the streets and you go, why is everybody wet? You know, like you're going, is there a rainstorm on the other side of Jerusalem? Like, what's going on here? And to be able to stand and testify to walk through and say, no, this is something that Jesus Christ has done, and, and I've been baptized, and I now identify with Jesus Christ, how that must have changed everything. And so for me, I thought, you know what, uh, let's, just, let's just have some people that have come alongside and say, I'm going to make the decision to follow Jesus, and I'm going to get baptized that, that day. And so um, next Sunday, as just a reminder, at 6.15, instead of being here for Equip, we're going to be outside if weather permits. If weather has an issue, we'll come into the gym. We've got a portable baptistry. If you want a comfy seat, I would encourage you to bring a camping chair. We're going to sit in the parking lot. We're going to have some snacks afterwards, and we're just going to celebrate what Jesus has done as a church family and, uh, and just really just thank God for, for what he's done. And so when it comes down to this, though, the question a lot of times I will get is, why should someone get baptized? Um, and when we decide to follow Jesus, we venture down a narrow path, but we are not alone. And baptism is a public declaration that you belong to Christ and a community. And so we're going to unpack kind of what baptism is and where it comes from. But I want us to look at Matthew chapter 3 first to see one of the people who got baptized in the scriptures is a guy by the name of Jesus, right? Jesus was baptized, and so obviously baptism is not a negative thing. He led out by example. He didn't need to be baptized in the way that some of us would say, hey, that's an important part of our faith journey. So why did he do that? 
It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So he's coming to John the Baptist. John would have prevented him, saying, Lord, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a what? Like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here's this moment where Jesus is baptized uh, in the Jordan River at a very specific time before he really starts off his ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He hears there in this moment, there's this Trinity kind of um, moment where you hear or you see Jesus being baptized. The Spirit comes down like a dove and he hears this voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, which means the voice speaking is, you got the Father. you got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all in this moment testifying to this um, moment in Jesus' life, but also as an example for us. And so with this, Jesus not only commanded us in the Great Commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but also Jesus did this himself. So if we look at, here's what I want to make sure we understand first and foremost, what baptism isn't, okay? Uh, what baptism isn't. Start here. Baptism is not meant to clean you off every time you feel unholy, okay? It's not meant to clean you off Every time you feel unholy. And there are a lot of people that I have known throughout their life. Uh, when I was teaching college classes at Lander, I would talk to some students and they're like, oh yeah, I got baptized again this weekend. I said, again? And they're like, yeah, you know, every so many months when I'm not really feeling like, you know, like I messed up a lot, I just go get baptized and I feel really good about myself. Okay. Um, well, what that happened was it kind of made me understand why the, the church that she went to had really good baptism numbers because she was about half of them, right? <laughs> she just kept getting baptized over and over and over again. And they kind of were encouraged, hey, if you feel disconnected from the Lord, just go get baptized again. That's, that's not what this is about. It's not about cleaning yourself off every time you feel unholy. Also, baptism is not what makes a person saved, okay? Baptism does not save a person. Um, let me uh, let you think through one situation. You remember... When Jesus was on the cross, there were how many people around him on the cross as well? There were other crosses beside him. How many were there? There was three crosses all together, Jesus in the middle. There's one guy on the right, one guy on the left. One of the guys tells Jesus, hey, why don't you get off the cross? And while you get off, why don't you get me off too, right? Okay, he's really thinking courageously. Uh, the other guy says, don't you realize this? We deserve to be here. He does not. He doesn't deserve to be this. So Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus said... If you can get off this cross and be baptized, then the answer is yes, right? No. Let me ask you this question. Did the guy on the cross ever get a chance to be baptized? Yes or no? Did he ever get a chance to join a church? No. Did he ever get a chance to tithe to a church? No. Do you believe he's in heaven right now? Yes, absolutely. Everything within me. Now, he never got a chance to be baptized. So baptism doesn't save you. It's not the actual thing that saves you, but it is a part of your story. It's an integral part of your story. So it's not what makes a person saved, no more so than this little uh, piece of jewelry on my hand, right? When I put this on, it doesn't make me married, right? I could give this to Steve. It does not mean that he's married to Amanda right now, right? You stick this ring on somebody, it doesn't mean. You stick it on a ring somebody else, it doesn't mean you're married. What does this ring do? It symbolizes that I do belong to somebody, right? And it tells everybody out there, hey, look, if you're looking for me, I am already registered with somebody else, okay? Like that's what it's supposed to do. And baptism is the same way. 
Baptism doesn't make you saved, but what it is, it's a public way of telling the world what's already happened. It's a public way of telling all the world. You're putting the ring on, right? You're already married, so to speak. You already have a relationship with Jesus. But baptism is like I'm putting the ring on, so if anybody looks, they would know I belong to someone else, right? So it's not what makes a person saved. Baptism is not an act decided by another person either, okay? So baptism is not an act decided by another person. Well, and this is where it's going to be complicated because um, I, I know that even in this room, not everybody grew up here in the same denomination. Some of you did not grow up in church. But some of you were baptized before you even had the opportunity to walk. Okay? Some of us were. Some of us were sprinkled. Some of us were baptized at a young age, different things like this. When you look through the pages of Scripture... Baptism is something that happens after an individual has made a decision to follow Jesus. Something that you do, not something that's decided for you. Now let me tell you where this gets confusing for certain people. Because there's another observation or a ritual that took place in the Old Testament primarily that was something that was chosen for you, right? Especially to young boys on the eighth day of life, right? They were circumcised. And did young boys say, you know what I feel like doing? Right? Okay, no. That was decided for them. And so some people thought, oh, well, since circumcision is kind of decided for by the parents to let them on, then what we're going to do here is that in this sense, we're going to baptize them before they can so that we kind of like cover them until they're at the place where they can make the decision for themselves. That's where it came from. It's not a bad line of thinking, but if you look through Scripture, whenever you find somebody being baptized, it's a decision they make themselves. Some, somehow they get to a place where they go, this is what I need to do. So this is what baptism is. Here's a few things to think about. Number one, baptism is a physical illustration of a spiritual transformation. Just like that wedding band, right? It's a physical illustration. It's something that you can see that takes place, and it's a spiritual transformation. So when you see someone go into the waters and come out they are a symbol so that you can actually see. It's a ritual that makes that really grounds down something that took place. All of us will remember certain events in our life where it's a ritual, right? So this is a physical illustration of a spiritual transformation of what's already taken place. Baptism identifies symbolically with the death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus. So if you think about it this way, when someone takes you down, and this is also important, uh, and I don't, I don't have this on the notes here, but Scripture really doesn't say you can baptize yourself, right? I can't do this. It just sort of go down the water and pop back up, right? Because symbolically, what would that teach us? You can save yourself. Symbolically, if you do it right, you know, like now I've had some people who are like kicking and screaming when they go, you know, or they're struggling a little bit. But when you get baptized, you're basically saying, I trust Somebody's going to bring me back up, right? And, and that's the picture of salvation. That there is a death to sin. There is a burial. But then when we come up back out of the waters, we're identifying with the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And now we are saying death. We are saying no to the ways of this world, to our former life. We are dying to that. And we're coming back to life through Jesus Christ. There was um, a few years ago, there is a precious lady in our church who was 85 who came up to me one Sunday and she said, I have been fighting this for about 75 years of my life. She goes, I felt like I need to be baptized and I never wanted to do it. She goes, I am scared to death of water. I'm scared to death of being held underwater. 
And she said, I have made reasons why I hadn't done it. She said, and I thought, there ain't no way that this old woman's going to get in that water. She goes, because I got white hair and everybody's going to think, what's wrong with that lady? And then she said, and then I saw another white hair man get baptized. And I thought, if that white hair man can get baptized, this white hair woman can get baptized. Okay. So she comes to my office and she tells me, uh, I'm scared to death of being held underwater. I mean, I'm scared of going to the pool. I'm scared. And, and, and part of me going, I don't want to make it a big deal for this sweet lady. But she said, but I thought if Jesus can go to the cross for me, I could get held underwater for a couple seconds for him. And I said, okay. So I had talked with her through it. I had calmed her down. I said, it's not any bad. I promise you, whenever I have let somebody down, I've never left someone there. I always have brought them up. Never lost anybody down there. I thought we were in a good spot. She was calm. We prayed together. We walk out of the office and Pastor David walks down and I said, guess what? She's going to get baptized. He goes, oh good, we're going to hold her down extra long. And I thought, oh no. And so worked against everything I'd worked for. We, we finally did it in that day. And, and once again, she said, this is something I want to make a decision to do. And, and when she got up in that baptistry waters as an 80-year-old lady and said, I'm, I want to make this decision. You know what happened? Just like it had been for her, she was a catalyst for other people. She's not ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed either. She's not ashamed to do that. I, I, and so it is symbolically, it's this death, it's burial, and I'm trusting somebody to bring me back up again, right? And so this is what this picture is. Baptism is a public declaration that you belong to Christ and a community. Baptism is a, is a public declaration that you belong to Christ and a community. So on the day of Pentecost, when all these people are walking around dripping wet, there's this symbol of saying, I know who you belong to. You belong to Christ and we belong to each other. I saw you go down to the baptismal waters. And I saw you go back up. So it's more than just us assuming certain things. It's I know where you stand. I know where your allegiance lies, right? And, and so, so for this, there's this sense of your, it's a public declaration you belong to Christ and a community. Um, what baptism symbolizes? Let me, let's talk through that for a second. Baptism is not an isolated New Testament concept, okay? It's not an isolated New Testament concept. Baptism was practiced even before Jesus, even before John the Baptist. Baptism was a kind of ritual that happened in certain kind of um, movements in faith. So it wasn't an isolated New Testament concept. And in reality, what's beautiful about this is, in addition to the practice being used before Jesus, the significance is interwoven throughout the pages of Scripture. What we're going to see is that what baptism is is actually this incredible symbol that maybe we haven't even realized before. So you remember when Jesus got baptized in, the, in what river again was it? Jordan River. You remember what the Spirit descended on him like a what? Dove. The skies open up. Okay, so I want you to remember those symbols. And we're going to walk through some of the scripture passages. And since we were going to be going through a bunch of them, I just wrote them down there for you to follow along with. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. First page of your Bible, right? And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Okay? There was a time where God is basically saying this, where he pushed back the waters and allowed there to be dry, grand, or dry land for us to walk upon. Right? So I want you to think through this moment. If somebody goes under the baptismal waters and then they come back up, what happens literally to the waters? They part, don't they? They separate. When you come about, the waters go whoom, like this, and they separate for that person to come up. So they're down here, and they can't breathe, but when they come up, the waters literally part. And so at creation, the very first moments of when God is putting everything to existence, he, he makes the waters separate so that people can live. Follow me? 
to separate the waters so that someone can walk and, and stand upon this. Now, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 goes down a little bit. Now, you realize this. The world was doing pretty good until about chapter, uh, page 3, right, in the Bible. And uh, things got so bad that eventually God calls a man by the name of Noah to build a what? Ark. And God's wrath is going to come in the form of a what? Flood. Water. Okay? In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven were open. Here comes the waters. How much of a chance did anybody have unless they were carried in that boat? They're done for. God's wrath against all civilization was there and carried out. And so the waters were, it's not like, oh, I love going to the beach. No, it wasn't a pleasant experience, okay? Like the waters consumed the people. And, and so this is seen as the great deep burst forth. And think about it. When God created, he's separating the waters to make land, right? Now he's taking away the land and the waters are covering over again and there is no place to live. There is no safe place. So what takes place next is, look at this, Genesis chapter 8, verse 11, Noah sends out a certain type of bird. Do you remember what that bird was? A dove. So when the water is parting from God's wrath and the people are coming forth, there's a certain bird that comes down. Now where did we see the dove again earlier? Jesus' baptism. When the waters separate and he comes up, the spirit, the spirit comes down looking like a dove. And skies are opening up again, right? And Matthew, when he writes this, is going, all right, folks, connect the dots. I'm not going to connect them for you. <laughs> it's a dove, people. When was the last time you saw a dove in Scripture? You go, oh. And, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. The watery grave, death, danger, chaos, drowning was done away with. The dove came down and said, there's life again. So even at Noah, there's this moment of trying to get this across. Now, you go to Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Uh, God's people getting out of Egypt. Remember what happened there? They're walking through after 10 plagues, and then they all of a sudden they get to something they cannot pass. It's called the what? Red Sea, which is a body of water. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea, what is it again? Dry land, and the waters are divided. So here it is. Just like baptism, someone comes up, what happens? Waters are parting. Waters are parting, so life can go again. At the Red Sea, this is exactly what God is doing. Pushing back the waters so you can walk on dry ground. Your enemy's back here, going to try to kill you. You can't get past this, God will make a way. And they passed through this danger to get to a dry land. Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. Joshua is leading the group of people. Same type of situation. They don't know how they're going to get away from their enemies and to where the promised land of where they need to be, right? So God's people are trying to get the promised land. It says, now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the, what again? Jordan River. At the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant sits down and the waters part. All Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
So back in Joshua chapter 3, when God's people are trying to make it to the promised land, God parts the waters and they are able to walk through the Jordan River. And years later, there'd be someone else in the Jordan River who goes down, but then comes back up when the waters part. This symbolism is just rich all throughout the Old Testament of what God's trying to get across to us. Then you go to a guy by the name of Jonah. You ever heard of him before? Anything to do with water there? Um, you know, we always think about, man, it's so rough that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. You know, a big fish. Like, man, that must have been rough. I want you to think through this. Before Jonah got into the, the belly of the fish, where was he? In the water. And before he was in the water, he was in the what? In the boat. And here's what you got to think about. You read chapter 2, verse 5, 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So when, when Jonah gets thrown off the boat and he starts sinking, what does he think is going to happen to him? He's gone. He's dead, right? And so what actually saved him? The fish did. I'll cover you. You can't breathe out here, but this one can. It, it covers him up. I was in a watery grave. Water's closed up over my head. And what's going to take place soon as he prays this prayer? That fish is going to go to that water. The waters are going to part. And Jonah's going to come out on dry what? ground. But even in this, that's why I always, if, if you had to name the fish, I always say the fish's name is Grace, by the way. Because it's the most gracious thing God could do is to send a fish named Grace to come and rescue him because he was dying. The fish wasn't God's judgment. It was God's grace to get him through this, right? So here he is, brought up life from the pit. Uh, go down to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Once again, we see through Jesus' story, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, hearkening all the way back to creation, all the way back to Noah's ark, and saying, do you see the symbolism here? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and God is bringing you back up to life. Now, when you get to the person and work of Jesus, Here's what I want you to think about. If you go to India, there is a river called the Ganges River where people bathe in it for ritual cleansing. They think that you go in there and you will religiously come out pure. If you see a picture of the Ganges River, you see tons of people in there. They are not wearing masks. They have not used Germex. And there are also cows and there are dogs and there's all kinds of stuff in that water, using that water for all kinds of stuff. And I see people going in and out. And all I'm thinking of is I'm not that much of a germaphobe, but I'm like, I'm shutting down looking at it, okay? I'm thinking, oh, that, that sounds awful. Now, now take this picture with you. When Jesus shows up to be baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist has baptized hundreds of people in that water. And this picture, what's happening here, is that they're going down and going down and going down and going down, right? And symbolically, they're saying, I want repentance. I'm wanting a change to take place. I'm wanting something to change in my life. And this is what's beautiful about it. If you think about it, I know that it's not meant to cleanse you, but if there is this ritual process of, God, I'm identifying with you, it's almost as if, their sin, if, if you uh, like, it's almost like being in the, this consideration, like, okay, it's washing them. So if they come up out of the waters, now I'm clean. Symbolically, what's now in the water? Dirt, sin, filth, vile stuff, right? This is not purified water coming through these places, right? And what does Jesus do? He goes down in it. Get this picture. This is awesome. Did Jesus get baptized because he needed cleansing? 
No. He got baptized to identify with all of our dirt. Plunge me there. And when he comes up, he bears what we take off. When he goes to the cross, he bears what we take off. And this picture of Jesus being baptized, he's identifying with all of our sin, all of our dysfunction, all of our issues, and he comes back up clean. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why some of you, you may have been baptized in the way that they would say the Trinitarian baptism in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may have had the, the triple trifecta of baptism, right? Which you really need to hold your breath well, okay? Um, but that is kind of the picture. When Jesus says, you go and make disciples, here's what you do. You baptize them. And we would say, well, why don't they just have to believe? Why do they have to do all this kind of stuff? Why does it have to be public? Because he's wanting to make sure you know that when you identify with Christ, you also identify with the community. I belong to you. You belong to me. We're in this together. And so that there is no doubting who you belong to. Jesus himself said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. So it's a sense that I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be ashamed, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said to them, Repent and be what? baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit we want you to do this right here right now we don't wait, want you to wait for years we don't want you to wait to come back we want you right where you are to say I want to repent I want to change the directions and I want to be baptized I want to identify with this and on that day 3,000 people walking around that city baptized can you imagine I would just love next week that my arms hurt by the time our baptismal service is over right you got to be thinking, like, my back's hurting, whatever. Like when, I, when I went to seminary, this was one of the most practical things that we ever did. We had a, a practice of ministry class where we actually went down to a local church and we practiced baptizing everybody in the class because the professor said, I don't ever want you all to be in front of a church and the first time you have to baptize somebody is everybody staring at you, right? Because you might lose somebody down there. Okay, <laughs> It could easily happen. Uh, I've had some people that I've had to literally, like, you know, they... they they'll try to fight against you in the sense of like kicking up water or whatnot. My son was, uh, Obadiah was baptized. I remember his head went down, his feet came popping up over the air. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. So he wanted us to practice and I'll never forget. Uh, he said, I want everybody here to be able to practice baptizing somebody smaller than you and larger than you. Well, it just so happened that basically everybody in the class was about the same size except for moi. I got baptized about 18 times that day because they wanted to take the biggest guy down so they could make sure you do it, right? Just over and over and over again. And so we would practice this and it was a really funny kind of activity. But with this moment, it's like, you know what? We're going to have this opportunity to do this. But it is a public thing. So when the people in Pentecost are doing this, it's not a private thing, as we'll get to in a second. It's a public thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized or added that day about 3,000 souls. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by what? Baptism unto, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Some of you know your testimony was this. I was dead, but I'm alive now. Here's this picture. I, I, so it's a symbolic. I, I was dead, and I'm coming back to life. Jesus Christ is walk, letting me walk in the newness of life. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. So Christ, when he goes down the waters, he puts on your stuff. We go down the waters, we're putting on his. We're dressed in his righteousness alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is what I love. Because in this, it's this moment of we're not all baptized into our own individual kind of things. No, we're, we're baptized in one family, no matter where you come from. No matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your life story is, we all come together. And then Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And what baptism is, is that you have this picture of you are being buried first, right? Spiritually speaking, you're spiritually dead, but you come back to life. And guess what you don't have to worry about? You don't have to worry about the second death because you have already been brought to life through Jesus Christ. So with this, there's sometimes questions about baptism. Hopefully that kind of opens your mind. This is just an isolated thing that Jesus got around to. This is a whole narrative throughout Scripture, but questions as we go to it. Uh, number one, is baptism necessary for salvation? Let me say it this way. Baptism isn't a have-to issue for salvation, but it should be a want-to issue. Okay, It's not a have-to. It should be a want-to. So does someone have to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. But I've always heard it this way. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but once you are saved, you ought to want to be baptized. You know? It's a step of obedience. It's a step, and once again, here's the beauty. Um, a lot of times before I'll, I'll baptize someone, I'll say, guess what you get to be a part of today? Somebody else's story. When you go down in these waters and you come back and you testify to what Jesus Christ has done, you are saying to people who are there that know you that Jesus has made a change in your life. And if he can make a change in your life, he can make a change in theirs. And so even though it's not a have to, I do not think you have to be baptized to be saved. That is not in Scripture. And we find plenty of people who we believe to be in heaven that didn't to. It should be a want to issue. Now, can baptism be private? I get this a lot of times. Uh, part of baptism's nature is to identify to others your connection and their need for it as well. I do not believe that baptism needs to be private in the sense of, no, you do not need to do it on your own. And no, as I have been asked before, I will not come to your house and baptize you in the bathtub. Uh, sometimes you'll get that request, and it's typically from someone saying, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. I don't want anybody to know that I haven't been baptized yet. And I have never, ever seen anybody baptized going, oh, you're just getting around to this? <laughs> I've never seen anybody do this. It's always like, wow, that's awesome. You're making a step. And they celebrate it and encourage it. And so part of the nature of baptism is, uh, you know, salvation is the I am married to Jesus and baptism is and I'm not afraid to show it to anybody. It's a public thing that I want other people to see to testify to the fact Jesus has changed me. If he's changed me, he can change you too. So no, baptism should not be private. It should not be isolated in any type of way. There should be some people there that are witnessing and testifying to it. Um, first baptisms I ever did, I did in the Chattooga River. I did think I was about to lose one of them. But there were a group of people from our church. We were all around watching it. It wasn't a private thing where it's just a couple of people. It's like, no, this are, the people closest to me are, are seeing this. Um, who can baptize me? This is my belief. Um, I believe any baptized professing disciple of Jesus Christ can baptize another. If you go to the scriptures, and this may shock some of you, you will not find a Bible verse that says only seminary-trained, ordained ministers can baptize people. You don't see that. In fact, he gives us a great commission to tell us we should all be doing something. We should all be baptizing. So we go, oh, I don't know. I'm about to set you free. Uh, you know, you can go tomorrow to work and baptize somebody. You know, every single person. So, so this comes down to it. There's no, there's no description anywhere that uh, someone has to be more elite than the person they're baptizing. Jesus gave an example of that. Was John the Baptist better than Jesus? Nope. Okay. 
But where this comes down to, there's no verse of Scripture that says only ordained ministers, only men, only people who've been to seminary can baptize. It doesn't say anything like that whatsoever. I believe any baptized, professing disciple of Jesus Christ can baptize another. That's why at, at our church, when someone says, I want to be baptized, we'll ask them a question. Who do you want to baptize you? Who go, I thought the pastor had to do that. Hey, I, I'd love to do that. I'd be honored to do that. But is there somebody in your life that has a more special connection that you'd want to do that? And, and they go, well, I don't know. Here's what I know. I would love to be every single person in this room's pastor for the rest of your and my life. I'd love that opportunity. It'd be an honor of mine to say, until you die or I die, I am your pastor. But most likely, not all of us are probably going to be at the end of the line together. Is that fair? Some of y'all might move. Some of y'all might get really frustrated with me. You might go somewhere. Right? But I'll give you an example. Um, I, I, I was able to, um, I was talking with two dads recently who I said, hey, if you would like to baptize your kids, you're more than welcome to. Well, one dad said, oh, I could baptize my child. I said, absolutely you could. Why wouldn't you? Most likely, will that dad be in that child's life longer than I will be? Yeah, absolutely. And that dad said, man, I'd be honored. And the other dad said, I don't know. I just kind of feel like we want you and your role as pastor to have that right to do that. And I said, I'm more than happy to, but I want to let you know you can do that. It's, it's really not complicated. I just practiced a couple of times and started doing it, right? Um, we've had friends, baptized friends. We've had moms, baptized daughters. We've had ladies, baptized their friends. We've had all kinds of people. There, there is no verse or prohibition about it. It needs to be someone who has been baptized and professes as Jesus Christ that they could baptize another. So sometimes we'll have somebody said, my granddad's a minister. Can he come in and baptize at Rocky Creek? Sure. This is my friend who led me to Christ. I'm going to be a member here, but can this person baptize me? Absolutely they can. That's a wonderful gift. Um, some of you might even remember a few years ago, uh, we were in the gym during renovation, um, and uh, I got the wonderful privilege of baptizing a dad. And as soon as he came out of the waters, the first thing he did as a baptized believer, he baptized his son who's in the water with us. You know? Baptized, Dusty, Dusty comes up and says, all right, now my turn, and, and he baptizes his son. First, first thing he ever did. Um, there's a, uh, one of our college students who has led a friend, a co-worker of hers, they work in the dining hall, led her to Christ. Uh, she has come to faith in Christ, their relationship, and she wants to get baptized. Her schedule is she can barely ever come to church. She's working at the dining hall, and she wants to come here, and she says she might be able to get off at Easter. Could you baptize her? I said, I've never met her. I'd be happy to baptize her. But you know who could baptize her better than I could? Who? I said, you could, Mary. Me? I've never baptized anyone in my life. I said, you're the one who led her to faith in Christ. Like, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, I can, and I'd be honored to do it, but you have a relationship with it. And so for, for anybody here that you might say, okay, well, you know, is there any rules? There are no biblical rules that say one person can or cannot do it. And so for, for people who may say, I would like this person to do it, that's awesome. They just need to be someone who's been baptized and a professing disciple themselves. Another question that I get asked is being immersed necessary. You know what immersed means? Going under the water, okay? You're immersed all the way. The other option would be what? Sprinkle, right? Put a little bit of water on the head versus going under. And you go, is this that big of a deal? Well, the word baptizo means to dip or immerse, okay? That's what it means. It's not me like trying to get all denominational on you. It's just what the word means. Baptize means to go under. And you go, is that that big of a deal? It's not the biggest deal in the world by any stretch of the imagination. 
But what the symbol is supposed to be is it's not that I needed a little bit of cleaning. It's that I was dead. I mean, I was spiritually in the tomb, and God brought me back to life. You see the difference here? It's not just well, a little bit. It, no, it's that I didn't need cleaning. I needed a resurrection. And so the symbol is important. It does mean something beautiful. And so it, it, now, for some people go, well, well I, got, I got sprinkled. Does that mean it's not like, it's not meaningful? No. But it just means that when you come to Scripture, now you can kind of unpack it a little bit more and go, oh, so that's what that was about. And, and now I understand a little bit clearer. And so what I, I typically tell people is, hey, you honor that? Like if that was part of your story, I was sprinkled at one time, but now do I feel like I want to actually be baptized because it's more than me just need to be cleansed, like I need to be resurrected? Hey, this is not a Baptist pastor that's going to be like, can't believe you got sprinkled. That didn't mean anything. No. It might have meant a lot to you. It might have meant a lot. But you may say also that this is a further step in my obedience, right? So um, sometimes when we get walking with Jesus, have you ever gotten around to something that you found out like, oh, I never knew I was supposed to do that? You open up something in the Word, I never knew that was important. And you go, now that I do, is God angry at me? I think he's probably more saying, you got the opportunity to honor what you've done in the past, but now to even go a little bit further in your obedience. And so uh, the word baptism does mean to dip or immerse. Um, why would I need to get baptized if I have a previous experience? This is a great question, right? Here's, here's my thought on this. If your baptism wasn't your personal decision after your specific conversion, it can serve as obedience and witness. Let me make that a little bit clearer. If someone decided for you to get baptized, it's important that you need to make that decision yourself. Now, you may say, but what, you know, does that, if I, if I, do, if I do that and it was kind of a previous experience, does that not mean that it meant something? No. But if it wasn't your personal decision, okay, you made the call, this is something I want to do. If someone made the decision for you, or even if you felt pressured to do it by someone else, and if it wasn't, after your specific conversion. A lot of people's stories sound like this. Well, I thought I was saved. I got baptized when I was seven, but I really didn't know the gospel until I was probably, I don't know, 16 or so. And then some people say, so, so what does that mean? Does that mean my baptism didn't count? Well, once again, baptism doesn't mean you get into heaven or not, right? But it may say baptism is supposed to be a symbol after the fact of what's taking place in your life. So it should be something that is after your specific conversion. And it serves as obedience to what Christ has called us, but also witness to other people. Now, does getting baptized after infant baptism discredit what my parents did? This is a great question. Some of you, your parents decided that you would be sprinkled, you'd be baptized, and your church's deal. And if you got baptized now, does that discredit what they would do? I believe you can honor your parents by thanking them for their dedication while indicating you want this to be your personal decision. So it is not the worst thing in the world that you had family that was taking you to church when you were a kid. It is not the worst thing in the world that even when you were an infant, somebody said, we want you to be covered. And as much as we understand things to make sure you're thinking religious, that's not a bad thing, folks. Some people would love to have that type of concern for parents, right? So... What you don't do, I just go ahead and give this wisdom to anybody here. If you feel like you need to make this decision, you don't go, Mom, I'm getting baptized because you did it wrong when I was a kid. No. <laughs> Mom, thank you that you cared about my spiritual condition when I was a kid. I went to church even before I knew what was going on. You, you prioritize that. Dad, thank you for raising me in the church. Thank you for wanting me to make the right decisions and whatnot. And I honor that, and I thank you for that. But right now, here's the decision that I want to make. As a further step of my obedience, that I'm saying I want to do this because now I have received the gospel. It's my decision to follow Jesus, and I want to have this symbol. 
And so the question should be right here, should you be baptized, comes down to this. Number one, are you confident that Jesus has saved you? Okay, that's prerequisite there. Not baptism before conversion. You become saved, and then you consider. So the question is this, are you confident that Jesus has saved you? I've talked with people throughout the day to say, today, I think finally the light bulb came on. I walked in here lost, I came out found. And so, right, first step's there, right? I'm walking out thinking, Jesus has saved me. Second question, was your baptism your decision? Should you be baptized or not? Was your baptism your decision? Well, parents kind of decided for me. Or peer pressure kind of led me that way. Folks, I, it's scary to me sometimes, and I really get concerned because I never want to hinder a child from being baptized at an early age. But there are sometimes when you talk with a kid and they'll go, my daughter is five years old and she knows all the answers to the questions. You can ask her. She's ready to be baptized. Have you ever had anybody baptized this young? No. I really don't want to either yet. Um, well, can you sit down? She's so smart. She knows all the answers. You can ask her, hey, honey, 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 who died on the cross for you? Jesus. See, she's brilliant. She knows. Okay, well, that, that's great. Um, uh, you're asking some really kind of simple questions. Can I, can I meet, you know, just talk with your kid? Yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, she, she knows it. Okay. Hey, I'm so thankful that you're ready to follow Jesus. Um, so, all right, I'll, I'll start there. Who died on the cross for you? Jesus. Oh, yeah? Why did he do that? So I could be forgiven of my sins? Oh, that's awesome. Why do you want to be baptized? Mama says it will make her proud. Okay? All right? Now, what do you do with that, folks? I don't want to give anybody false assurance of anything. I definitely don't want somebody to get baptized because Mama will be happy with it. How many people, their testimony is this. Well, my older brother got baptized and everybody made a big old commotion about him in the church. He got a new Bible and a gift and we had dinner afterwards and I thought, that sounds good. I'll do that. It's got to be your decision. Can't be based on what Mama wants, your brother did, your friends are doing. It's not something someone chooses for you to do. This is something after you have decided to follow Jesus, this is your story. Number three, have you been baptized after your salvation experience? So once again, people say, should I be baptized? A lot of people would say their story looks like this. It wasn't, I got saved and then I got baptized. It was, I got baptized and later I got saved. If that's the case, then you know what? Don't mean that this was a waste. It doesn't mean things bad. But you want to say to the world, hey... I got baptized before I ever knew Jesus. But now I know Jesus. And I want to stand before you now and say, He has changed my life. And you know what's going to happen there? Somebody else is going to go, That's my story too. And if he can be that bold, maybe I could be that bold. Maybe if she could do that, maybe I could do that as well. And so, was your baptism after your salvation experience? And then, have you made your decision to follow Jesus public? It is this beautiful gift, this beautiful opportunity to stand back and say, I want to make it public. I am not ashamed that I belong to Jesus. I am identifying with his death, his burial, his resurrection, and I am coming forth. And so for everybody here, once again, I say this because uh, a lot of you have already made that decision and you go, I'm just here because we're supposed to be here on Sunday night. I don't know if this applies to me. You know somebody in your life that had questions like this, right? You've had somebody that said this. Hopefully this will give you a guidance of how you talk to them. Some of you need to say, you know what? This is my next step, and I'm ready to go forward in obedience. And it's not a bad thing. It isn't a shameful thing. It is an exciting thing to stand before you and say, I have the wonderful opportunity to stand before my church family and say this. 
Jesus Christ has changed me. I was dead in my sins and transgressions. He has brought me back to life, and I'm not ashamed to say it. So that's your story. Make sure that you have told us. Make sure we know. You can sign up on our websites, and that's what we want to do. Or if you know someone, help them walk through that issue together. Let me pray for us now. Father, we do ask, Lord, that as we think through the wonderful gift that baptism is, interwoven throughout the pages of Scripture, of how, God, that you have caused the waters that have um, uh, endangered us to be far away uh, from us so that we can have life, that you could provide dry ground for us to walk upon, and that we have come back from the dead to life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the people that you have saved among us today in these four services. We thank you for the life change that's taken place. God, we pray for an incredible Good Friday service this Friday where we would just once again be in awe of Jesus, what you have done on the cross. And Lord, we pray on Resurrection Sunday that there would be people who walk in dead and walk out alive that stand and are not ashamed to get a stand in the baptismal waters and say, Jesus has changed me and I am forever changed from this point forward. Give us all wisdom if that needs to be our next step or if this is a way that maybe we can help uh, someone else as they think through this. Lord, we want to follow you in every single way. Thank you for the Great Commission. Thank you for the gift of baptism and the symbol it is of what you have done in our souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.